I believe there's a hero in all of us. You have great powers, only some of which you have yet discovered. I'm a superhero, Mama. A real-life superhero. The world needs extraordinary. We will make you a superhero. Are you ready to become a hero? Initiating surprise in three. This two is one. The Real Brian Show. It's hump day on The Real Brian Show. Welcome back. I have another interview here today, and I have with me a physical therapist who also happens to be my PT. He's going to be sharing some really, really powerful stuff when it comes to the body and the brain. I mean, things that I've found extremely, and I mean extremely fascinating in the conversations that we've had over the past couple of years. And I know that it's uh, it's going to change your outlook on how our bodies work and how much influence we have on them. Let's rock it! You know, you don't actually have to trust me if you don't want, but uh, I mean, I'll tell you what, once we talk here with Tim Flynn, who is an amazing physical therapist, either way, either way, it's fascinating. I'm so excited. I'm The Real Brian. Thank you so much for joining me here today. And Tim and I, like I said, he's my PT. I've shared the story before about having a ruptured lower disc, having to have surgery, uh, kind of an emergency surgery, unfortunately. Um, But unfortunately, the surgeon... 1% chance totally messing up my sciatic nerve, which has resulted in uh, a lack of signal from the brain to certain muscles, meaning certain muscles just, they don't work anymore, even though they did when I went in. It was amazing. (laughs) So much fun. 1% chance. (laughs) Woohoo! Lucky the real Brian. But you know what? The amazing thing is that Tim has helped me so much through this journey, and he continues to help me because this is one of those things that uh, you know, I have to compensate for. And ideally, ideally, the body might see some healing. I don't know. It's been over three years and, and some things have gotten better and some things haven't. So you never know. But one thing I've learned is that Tim is not just a smart physical therapist, but he's gifted. And I've learned in talking with him and just in uh, some of the interactions I've had with some of his uh, associates, he really uh, is. He knows what he's doing. He's all over the place. He's an international speaker. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible what he knows. And so today, we're not going to talk about physical therapy per se alone. I mean, yeah, we'll talk about that. But we're going to be talking about matters of the body. Stuff that I know each of us, of course, care about. We care about how our bodies are and how they react and how they do things. But um, something that he he's really getting into right now, well, he's not just getting into it now. He's been a part of it for a while. But he's launching a brand new podcast as well, all about pain. And how we deal with pain and how we manage pain. It's really, really fascinating stuff. But he's taught me a lot about that. Dr. Tim Flynn. Like I said, very accomplished. He's board certified in orthopedic physical therapy. Fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. And a frequent research presenter at state, national, and international meetings. He's very widely published, including five textbooks, six book chapters, and over 50 peer-reviewed manuscripts on orthopedics, biomechanics, manual therapy issues, topics including thoracic spine and rib cage, musculoskeletal evaluation and treatment, and examination, just to name a few of those things. He's received multiple prestigious awards and continues to maintain active research in the areas of spinal and extremity manipulation, low back disorders, characterization of spinal instability, and the development of clinical prediction rules. Like I said, a lot to share here. Last thing I'm going to share is that Tim is a professor of physical therapy 
at South College, Tennessee, where he teaches Doctor of Physical Therapy students in the areas of musculoskeletal management, advanced manipulation skills, and evidence-based practice. Tim, welcome to The Real Brian Show. Well, I'm honored to be here, Brian, and most honored to be in this cool setting, which has awesome equipment and just a good vibe. Well, thank you. It, it, <laughs> it's fun actually having people in the studio. There is something cool about it, you know, to actually be here and be talking and actually... Yeah you know, having the mic and headphones on. So I'm honored to be here and thanks for having me. Of course. Well, I appreciate it. And you know, you and I've been talking about the ergonomic side of things and, and I need to work on that because as you can see, I'm not exactly <laughs> sitting correctly looking at you. The challenge, don't worry, I'm figuring it out in my microphone at home as well. Just, you know, I do some casting of lectures and things of that nature and my setup even though I preach it is not as good as it should be either. <laughs> so I'm coming clean to start. Eventually what we really need to do though is have it, you know, where you can sit back and the, you know, the monitors up here and you know, I'm, I'm, the microphone, everything's kind of that zero G sort of thing. So it's putting no weight on certain joints. Is there anything like that? Well, n- not that I'm aware of. And that, that actually leads to an interesting thought because Sometimes having variability, in fact, often variability in what we do is actually a healthy thing. So if it's so perfect that we don't have to use any muscle or any workload, then we kind of atrophy and, you know, our body gets weak. So, I mean, there's a fine balance between moving around a lot and having to adjust things and getting up and doing that and having things too precise because then we lose our variability that makes life and actually makes us more resilient That's um, true. when we're exercising, doing other things. So what I need to work on eventually is a way to basically do all of this upside down. <laughs> so I, oh, I could hang from the ceiling, right? No. no, that would be bad. I could just do a handstand or I don't, I don't think I'm that coordinated. All right. So there's a good <laughs> idea indeed. <laughs> Maybe not, but <laughs> I do like the idea of variability and that's maybe that's the implementation. I, you know, the sit-stand desks are kind of a big thing. And I, I have a standing desk at home. I, I have to admit, I used it way more when I first got it and then kind of backed off a bit. But I still try to do at least throw my laptop up there. And when I'm either on a phone conference where it's just talking and I don't need to really be doing a lot or just scrolling through my easy email where I don't have to do a lot of typing, I'm yeah. deleting, uh, answering some quick stuff. And I, so I try to do that detailed work. Clearly it, it's not as good, but, sure. it, but it's definitely good for conference calls. <laughs> you know, I, when I get on the phone, I just pace, yeah. <laughs> which okay. is a good thing. I just like walking back and forth and, and, or if I'm creative and I'm trying to come up with ideas, it's walking, it's constant movement. I can't sit and do that very well. And there's good science that suggests that, you know, that again, our creativity happens when we do, I mean, exercise stimulates creativity again, especially if you crank it up fairly high because just, you know, the blood flow to the brain and, you know, there's now all the good neuroscience coming out saying, you know, hey, exercise, we think of physical exercise, but it's also brain exercise. So you're right on. My best thoughts come out, you know, on a run and, yeah, and that's when things finally come to me. You know, I have a lot of uh, ideas at coffee shops and I don't know if it's because, I mean, being an extrovert, I like being around people. So even though I may not be interacting with them, it's just being around them. Or it could be the fact that there's caffeine in my system and, you know, you do stupid things faster. And so anything, anything to kind of amp it up. But no, I just enjoy that atmosphere. Sometimes that's a big thing. I can't disagree. My oldest son's <laughs> in coffee. So, you know, I mean, in a coffee shop and a, and a laptop, it doesn't get much better than that. So I'm with you there, too. So in the introduction, uh, you know, I talked about your, uh, your role in, in the world of physical therapy. Having had back issues for many years and 
I had seen other physical therapists, different, different places, different things. Uh, but there's something that I've, I've noticed through your work. And then this also kind of opened my eyes just in general to, you know, most professions, there's something to be said about learning how to do something and doing it well. And then there's something to be said about having a true natural gifting in addition to working hard and learning it and doing it well. And I feel like you really do have that gifting. You know, you, you know, the body when it comes to physical therapy, I think there's uh, there's people that, you know, can do their job. They've, they've learned how to do it and they, they know the parts and they do their thing. And then there's people that just, they just know, you know what I mean? It's like, I, it's hard to explain, but I hope that makes sense as I'm saying that. And I really feel like you have that gifting that goes just beyond the hard work and the learning and the education that you've gotten over the years. Well, first of all, thanks for that compliment. And it's actually an interesting <laughs> question because I teach a lot and I yeah. teach uh, entry-level students. I teach physical therapists from around the world that have been practicing, you know, 40 years. I'm often complimented by, you know, your hands are gentle. You're, you know, oh, that was, that was so easy. And yet I still do believe in the fact that it is now, it wasn't always that way. Mm-hmm. And that I was fortunate to have mentors who were in the field that really focused on quality handling skills and, you know, the, the, the laying on of hands, the ritual nature of laying on hands and that you should pause, you should think about what you are doing and, and ultimately be present. And I think, you know, I try to impart that with our students, you know, there's so much noise in a clinic. There's noise in a laboratory, if you're learning, there's noise in life, in what's happening in the morning before you got to work. And great clinicians are those that when you close that door and you're one-on-one with that patient, they're your only focus and that's what matters. Yeah. And, you know, I don't always, in some days it's not as good, but I, sure. think that, I think that probably shows through the ability to be intentional and hyper-focused on the person that you're you're with at that moment absolutely but you know you see it in in you know musicians and and i'll say it this way just because being a musician myself being a broadcaster somebody gets me on the mic i mean i've been around musicians most of my life and and you see people who just work and work and work at it and they just never really get it if you know what i mean like sure they can play the notes but they can't make the music and so I, I see it even like that, that yes, you're still, you've learned the training, you've gotten that, um, but there is still something there that, you know, you're making the music, basically. You're not just playing the notes when it comes to physical therapy. And I think that's a good thing. And I think it's cool. And I'm glad you're able to impart that on your students, but it's very powerful to see that. So thank you for doing that. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah it is. It's a, it's a constant journey. Yeah, oh, <laughs> it always sure. is, isn't it? <laughs> I heard about you, you know, oh, he's the best that, you know, that's, that's the kind of referrals you get people saying that kind of thing, which is great came to you, saw you, loved it, but then also realizing how influential and integrated you are into the, to the, the community of physical therapy across the, I don't know about the world, but definitely across the United States for sure. I mean, you, you are known, you're well-known. How did this all start? What, what, what are the things you used to nerd out about when you were younger? How did you get into all this? I was fortunate to grow up experimenting in a small town so that you, youngest of five, basically parents are tired. So you basically kind of get away with everything, right? Which, you know, looking back now is a great learning experience. And, uh, but I, I always was that of, I enjoyed helping people and working mm-hmm. with people and, you know, being around people. So, you know, I had that and I had some very interesting challenges, I think, growing up with, you know, aging grandparents and father died quite young and just some health things around the house. So you, I guess you were exposed to humanity, I guess, sure. would be. So my best learning was as a, you know, I grew up uh, 
uh, Catholic. I'm a recovering Catholic. And, you know, so, but I was an altar boy. So you could get out of school if you served, you know, funeral masses were often during the week. And if you were an altar boy, you could get out of school and get five bucks for doing mass. Nice. So, I mean, <laughs> I'd been to more funerals by the time I was like, I don't know if any time I was like 14 than most people will ever be. And I chuckle about it, but I look back now and say, when people are having at times of challenge and whatnot, you were around that and you had people that you heard and would say comforting things. And you realize now how much I was picking up, but at the time, you know, it wasn't, I mean, it sounds very, you know, kind of dark, but it really, you look back and say, it kind of shapes how you view the world. You know, so, yeah. yeah, so anyway, I think that, you know, I think you, yeah, you're all, we're all creatures of how we kind of uh, grew up and such. So, but yeah, I, I was just fortunate to fall into physical therapy, really. I didn't, it wasn't this well-planned track. I kind of picked it out of the catalog and, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. back, you know, at high school. So that, you know, unfortunately I, it, it worked for me. You saw the humanity, you saw the the need to care for people and there's definitely something into that. You know, a lot of people get into helping professions because of something like that. That's interesting. Now, so you didn't nerd out about physical therapy or anything like that or not until, um, no, I really didn't. I really started nerding out after I got into it and very, okay. very soon on right out of graduating from school. I was actually winning. I was on a RTC scholarship. That's how I ended up at Marquette and I was doing my t- time back in the military, but mm-hmm. I was down in San Antonio at a medical center and, I was just fortunate to be around these people that were phenomenal clinicians and uh, just a culture, crazy culture of learning. Hmm. And I was immediately realized I knew nothing. You know, I got there and thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. you know, I was just humbled by how little I knew, but they lit the fire, you know, and that lifelong learning fire. So I yeah. think if I, you say nerded out at that time, I started nerding out of things I love to do is run. I, and I just started mm-hmm. running. But during those runs, you would talk about patients and how we could do this better, or that better, or this challenge or that challenge. So sure. that got me nerding out about the body. I do believe that when I say body, I say, you know, it's, it's, the embodiment, the nervous system, the brain and the body where we're one, you know, I don't say the brain is different than the body. Sure. Though at the time I would say I, I kind of did, I kind of had this mindset of, um, you know, the body was more machinery in nature. And now, you know, literally we can probably get to that later, but in the last 10 years, my whole sense of what is self and sense of how we feel has been just overturned by the new research and neuroscience and stuff coming out. So I guess if you say, what do I nerd out about? I definitely nerd out about healthcare related issues and musculoskeletal problems that we have, many of which we've created in our industry. That's, I guess, my, my passion, but it, it flows through when I'm running and doing and being active as well. That is something that I found fascinating is, you know, I'm coming in for true physical therapy and we've had conversations, you know, about pain management and a host of other things. I mean, I think it was even you and I that were talking last year. Uh, I had really bad allergies and I don't usually get allergies. Uh, not that bad anyway. They're, they're there. But, uh, you know, there, there was such a, a huge rampancy of allergies, I think, that you were mentioning. And uh, I went into the doctor because I got gout. And I'm like, well, I don't get gout. Where is this coming from? And they're going, well, do you eat all these foods and drink this and all? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't eat any of that stuff. I'm like, why am I getting gout? This doesn't make any sense. I'm a healthy person. And I started noticing that uh, a bunch of my friends were getting gout that never had gout either. And then they were, you know, well, we've seen tons of gout cases this year. And 
but we all know that in, in the area, the allergies were really bad last year. In fact, I've heard it was like one of the worst years in 20 years that, that people have seen. And so you and I were even just chatting and, and you were telling me about how the uh, immune system, when, when you have allergies, your immune system is attacking the allergies because it's trying to get them out. And so if your immune system is focusing most of its attention on the allergies, it's not focusing its attention on other normal things like preventing you from getting gout or whatever it may be. And so you start having all these problems. And I thought, I never thought of it like that, but that makes sense. The, it, the allergies are, are the culprit. And everything else is a symptom. And I brought that up to some of the medical people and they're like, no, that's, that's not related. And then later they started to go, I mean, this was probably two months down the road when I went back and they said, you know what, actually, I think you're right. I think that the allergy correlation makes a lot of sense. And I found that to be so fascinating because here I am talking with medical professionals, challenging them (laughs) to go do some research and realizing that actually there's, there's something here that we've never really explored before. And I'm not saying that this is across the board. This is just, you know, the people that I spoke with. We have lost our curiosity. We created a generation, again, this is a broad stroke, but we created a generation of medical providers whose training was largely influenced by the pharmaceutical industry. And to the point of, you know, the pharmaceutical companies actually providing the curriculum and coursework and some of the pharmaceutical courses and some of the diseases and providing, you know, here's how you treat these things. You know, when you begin to uncover the hood and look under the hood of the literally what they're selling is sickness. And there's actually a good yeah. book on selling sickness. And, and we really lost our way in the yeah. fact that we began to believe and we began to promote uh, the fact that, you know, from a pill, any ailment, anything could be treated from some chemical. Yeah. When in fact, our body is a melu of, you know, powerful chemicals that help keep us healthy and have kept us alive. And we're often are suppressing them. So yeah. where I'm going with this is that we have stopped listening and doing detailed physical examinations on folks and just listening to the story of, you know, what are these symptoms? And that is really my passion now. I mean, I often talk about, you know, we, we have done more harm than good in most pain disorders. Okay. You know, the farm, there's clearly pharmacy and certain drugs have helped immensely in saving lives and changing our trajectory. So don't hear me saying that it's not been helpful, but when it comes to pain management, we have done more harm than good. And you're probably aware, you know, that really the nineties is when it happened. It was a confluence of forces in the late nineties when Purdue pharmaceutical unleashed uh, Oxycontin onto the market. And when it was released as an over the counter drug, the way they got it through, they basically said, oh, it's not, it's not addictive. This stuff is not addictive. And they pointed to a quote unquote paper in the New England Journal of Medicine. But it, was a, it wasn't a paper. It was two paragraphs that was a letter to the editor describing inpatients on a ward where they medically used um, morphine and they did not get addicted. Now, these people mm-hmm. were post-surgery. Uh, we're on it for short duration and they were medically monitored and they showed very little levels of addiction and they were only on for a short time. Mm. But that's basically this, this, it wasn't even a paper. It wouldn't, it wasn't peer reviewed. It was just, you know, thrown in as a paragraph letter of the editor, but that was enough 
to literally have this drug released on the market. And mm. it's, you know, one in four uh, become addicted, uh, Oxycontin and, it's, and the other types of morphine drugs have been released. At that time, you know, pain management was a big deal. You know, pain become what we call the fifth vital sign where, you know, you need to make sure, you know, we're managing pain. And pain became a disease, so to speak, yeah. versus actually finding out what is wrong with you and why do you hurt? Yeah. Um, the symptom and, versus the root cause. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. And that's precisely it. And, you know, it's it's a medically induced um, disaster we've created. I, again, yeah. it's uh, we kill more people with you know, opioids than we do in uh, motor vehicle accidents oh, in geez. the state of Colorado. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It, wow. it is, it is, it's sickening. And that's truly my passion now, yeah. trying to educate folks that, you know, we can do we can do better. And, you know, not to get too off topic, but, you know, the, the pharmaceutical industry, you know, I often say they, they, they created, promoted, and sustained this epidemic in pain management. I say that unhesitatingly, without you know, remorse, and again, I'm not damning all pharmaceutical companies by any means, but clearly when it comes to pain management, they've been very nefarious. To put it into perspective as well, you know, my mom's a nurse and, and she's been a nurse for years and has seen the changes. You know, she, I believe, started back in the 70s, you know, nurse through the 80s and, and saw the changes. And, and I remember she used to tell me as a kid too that, you know, pharmaceuticals, like you said, some of them are fine, but they're there to treat the symptoms. They're not there to actually heal you or fix you or anything like that, because that's not what they're designed to do. I mean, maybe there are some out there. I don't know. But, you know, of the ones that, you know, I grew up with and that kind of thing, ibuprofen, uh, you know, or Tylenol cold and all that doesn't get you over the cold. It just prevents you from feeling like crap. So, (laughs) but even she saw the change and and realizing that there was a, a push to it. And so even somebody who, you know, is in the medical profession as a nurse, seeing kind of what's going on and seeing how things are changing and being pushed by the pharmaceutical companies. I mean, it's money. I get it. You know, like you said, you can't blame them for that because they just want to make money. And there are things that, like you said, have changed lives. I can tell you that without ibuprofen, I probably would be dead because of the amount of pain that I went through. I don't know if it saved my life, but it sure prevented me from having a heart attack, I think, (laughs) because pain was so bad. Absolutely. But it didn't fix the problem. Yeah. And and you're right on. And that's why um, those types of medications, very helpful. And like we say, lower... Uh, dosage, certain medications, or even um, a drug like um, a morphine-like drug such as OxyContin, you know, for very short duration, typically it's hospitalization. That's what they sure. were designed for. You know, for two to three days is uh, is is makes total sense. We just unleashed it onto you know places it was never designed to be unleashed on. Yeah. And at the time, we really didn't know about what pain is. And, you know, yeah. I'd like to state, you know, what's the new definition, international definition of pain is pain is an unpleasant sensory or emotional experience in response to a threat or perceived threat. Mm-hmm. What's very interesting about pain, it really is a monitoring of threat. You're disc ruptured, especially when you're young. I mean, when you're old, we don't have much, our discs flatten and they normal aging and you're actually less likely for those things to occur. But, you know, you're younger, um, it happens more there. The brain was going crazy. It says something is amiss here. Mm -hmm. Something is wrong here. And so danger signals go up and then the brain interprets that and it's perceived as ouch, hurt, and often a protection response, you know, don't move. Because that, that, that hurts, you know, I'm broken, so to speak. Sure. And that is a very good mechanism for acute 
problems. Like you put your hand on the stove, you know, it's hot, pull it off. You yeah. know, yeah. you break your leg quickly, you know, I'm not going to put weight on this. You know, it's a response to those. However, persistent problems that once they've gone on for a week or so or less, you know, the brain begins to adapt negatively often to those signals. Mm. So that's that that becomes a challenge. And even at the risk of, you know, kind of going a little bit deeper, our experience of pain is shaped by so many things um, because it's shaped by our own experience growing up. All pain is real. And that's really yeah. bothers me as well. People say, you know, and often in the healthcare, you know, the healthcare providers will kind of be grading, you know, whether that, you know, well, how bad is it for that patient? And it's, to me, it's just so inappropriate mm. because no one knows an individual's own experience because that is their experience and it's yeah. real. It's yeah. not fake. It is all pain is a real experience. It's a response to that threat. The beauty is just by knowing that we can educate people and explain what's going on in the brain yeah. and you can help Especially when we work with the patients with chronic pain, we can help dial down their their symptoms just by understanding, oh, you know, how, how dangerous is this? You know, it's not, my hand's not getting worse. It hurts, but there's no uh, continual damage going on there. And we now know things of, you know, a breathing strategies, yoga, uh, meditation, systemic things like that can actually mm-hmm. di- dial down that experience very yeah. rapidly. I'd never really understood the management of pain until you had explained it to me and, and knowing that, you know, it is a, a brain response. It is a central nervous system and that, you know, you can calm yourself. I also have a, a condition called SVT. What I found to work is to close my eyes, calm down and slow my heart rate by breathing slower and everything. And I started to learn how to actually manage my heart rate through some of that stuff. Just there was, you know, cause I was stressed out. I went through a stressful time. And I was trying to learn how to calm down a little bit just by just literally by breathing slowly and trying to block out, you know, unnecessary thoughts. It's fascinating. And if if we put you through an MRI, a functional MRI that measures blood flow in your brain, if we watched you doing that, we, we could measure your heart rate and we could measure the activity in your brain. And what we would be seeing would be like a brain that is kind of boiling. It's like, it's just, there's signals just going crazy. You got yeah. input coming in, I'm late and this, at this deadline, blah, 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 all this bombardment. And then you go into this, this strategy that you did. What you see is you see less activity in the brain. And at the same time, your heart rate is slowing. Yeah. So it's really, it's, decreasing these other threats because literally those other things in the stress that's occurring, it's a threat, whether it be, I need to get this project done. You know, uh, I need to make this payment. Those threats are just as real as the threat of, you know, I'm cutting myself or falling on my, on the trails running this Mm -hmm. weekend. You know I mean? (laughs) Those, those things, you know, they're not different. It's interesting. We, we often think the physical threat of a tear or something is different than the threat of how we're viewing a a deadline or something. I mean, the brain basically sees those two things as, as, you know, as threats that one may be a little higher than the other, depending on, you know, uh, individual situation. Well, it seems to me like, you know, a physical injury could be a life threatening thing, just depending on how serious it is, but it's more of an immediate thing. I mean, nowadays, I, I don't know if this is just new studies, but I'm starting to hear a lot of correlation between you know, high stress and sickness or high stress and disease, or I don't know, I don't know if cancer and stress are related. I don't know, but you know, I'm, I'm starting to hear a lot of that. I'm reading this stuff where people are saying that, 
you know, stress is actually one of the number one causes of a host of problems and you got to bring them down or bring that stress down. You know, you look at environments and different um, places where it's extremely challenging, you know, uh, living where people are under constant low level threats. You look at population health and you're exactly right. Those places, that's a good example of hypertension and African-American community was thought, okay, this is, you know, kind of a genetic rationale because there's higher levels. Mm -hmm. And then when they start looking at region and socioeconomic status that, oh, maybe this is because, you know, there are more challenges. And then you start looking at their higher stresses at lower socioeconomic status and they're at Mm -hmm. higher risk for chronic diseases. Interesting. So because they've been under chronic low-level stress. The living conditions the have living, been ideal for them. They been, and yeah. so their immune system begins to be, it's less robust mm. and at higher risk for infections and, and other things, but also hypertension, so high blood pressure and the like. So you're, you're exactly right. I mean, we have just, we need to have those conversations that, you know, it's, we got to treat the whole, not yeah. these little parts. And, you know, I just, it's kind of a crazy way we go about breaking things into little parts and like this pill is going to solve things and not to say we shouldn't be using those things. But again, it's kind of, as you have started it, it's treating symptoms, not necessarily getting at the root cause. So do you believe that the mind can make the body sick? Um, Like if you believe you're getting sick, then you just get sick. Now that's a great question. Yes. If you're constantly fearful of, you know, something and you're not sleeping, for instance, you're worrying and worrying, worrying about something, that would be an example of a increased stress and you're basically, you know, decreased resiliency Mm -hmm. and you're at greater risk for illness. But, you know, we can create pain, which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. I'd like to tell this story, you know, and hopefully the listeners out there you know, they, they can try it, but just I'll warn them, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I was skiing a few years ago and I, I, I whacked, here's when you know too much. I'm skiing. <laughs> I went over a little bump, but I just was not paying attention. Yeah. Came, fell back and was thinking, you know, it was a little powdery. I'm just going to have this nice fallback, but I was on a, a mogul and my head whipped back whacked my head and I had searing pain in my neck that spread down into my thumb and index finger, which is what's called the C6 dermatome of your hand. And immediately in my mind, I I had failed all conservative care. I had a a nerve root injury and I was going in for surgery. You know, here's someone who in my, who is a conservative care specialist speaks out against over surgerization, over imaging and all this stuff that we do. And in my mind, I had gone through this in probably a second. Yeah. And I, I'm laughing here telling you, because as I'm telling you this story, my arm is cold all the way down into my first and second digit. Wow. And it feels just like it did at that time. Every time I tell that story and now I'm shaking my arm, you don't, yeah. you can see it because I recalled that incident. And, you know, basically that's imprints on your cortex, uh, your sensory cortex in your brain. So that pain I'm experiencing right now, it's really a coldness, is real, but it has nothing to do anything with my neck or arm. It's mm. just the neurons in my brain that where that memory is housed has been recalled. You know, if you take it to an extreme, something like post-traumatic stress and yeah. things like that, it's really, those memories are seared and, you know, we over time can adapt and reframe those, yeah. but they're, they're, they're there and you can recall that and bring up. So in that case, yeah. I generated pain by just a, by just a thought. I, and I've heard the whole taking thoughts captive, right? Yeah. And that's not an easy thing to do too. In fact, I was uh, talking with a friend of mine who said it, it's a trained, it's a learned thing. 
So, you know, his, his advice is basically to say that, you know, if you're, if you're having whatever the thought is, a stressful thought, a painful thought, a, a PTSD, even like you mentioned, um, little things like that. And you start to look at it and, and you realize that, um, I, I just can't get this thought out of my head. And he talks about until you can train yourself to, you know, as he puts it, take that thought captive and just get rid of it sort of thing, thought replace it. And I've learned through the years that if I allow those things to continue in my brain, you know, I physically go down a bad path. I get sick I or I make myself sick to my stomach or whatever, or I actually physically get a cold or I get whatever. Um, and I actually went through a time where I was so fearful and traumatic and, and, you know, and I just allowed that to take over my brain that I didn't sleep and I didn't do anything. And my body was starting to kind of reject and it was bad. And so I learned through that. I learned through talking with you about pain management, how powerful the brain is on our body. And then I started observing people who would believe they were always sick or sickly and they were. And I don't know if it's that they really are truly a sickly person physically or if they just keep thinking they are. And so therefore they are. And I don't know how close relate how closely related that is, but I see I see a consistent uh, a consistency with that. We'll go with that. I see a consistency with that, that if people think they're sickly, they are. And if people go, well, I do get sick, but I'm going to, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to get up, you know, like the, I keep sharing all these different stories, but when I couldn't walk for three months because the nerve wasn't sending a signal down to certain muscles, I had a choice to either go, well, that's my lot in life, or I'm going to get up and I'm going to force my way through this. And, mm-hmm. and I find that people that are same thing there, if they're sick all the time, you either have a choice to say, I'm going to fight my way through this. I'm going to do whatever I can. I may not always be fully healthy or I'm going to let it take over. I don't know. Is there, is there a relation there? Oh, there's, there's actually good science on this. Um, if we kind of bring it into like a practical nature, like back pain, for instance. Uh, and, and oh, by the way, you had a very small percentage of people have back pain like you did. About 5% wow. have a serious nerve root injury, so to speak, where you get the loss of muscle function and searing pain down the leg. It's really, fortunately, just a small percentage of the, yeah. the universe of back pain that we, we get. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you're in the minority, the, yeah. which is not a good minority to be in. <laughs> What's called fear avoidance of, of beliefs and fear avoidance behaviors. Yeah. Fascinating studies. You can look at baseline after someone's had a, a back, quote, injury. And if you ask them questions about how fearful they are that, you know, movement's going to make their condition worse. Or if I do too much of this, that may cause harm. And it basically gets at, you know, kind of their beliefs about how they see movement and pain and movement and injury. And you, what you find is that is highly predictive of people that go on to chronic pain or mm-hmm. chronic problems. So people that are have these high fear avoidance beliefs. So they kind of avoid physical activities and in work situations because of out of fear of harm. I mean, it's, sure. it's, it's rational from their perspective. It's neither, I always say these are neither good nor bad. These labels, it's just their beliefs mm-hmm. and they, their trajectory is not good. So one of the things we do is, you know, you know, really when we find those things to try to really try to reframe the condition and really encourage, you know, this hurt does not equal harm. You know, we need to, we need to push through this. And because you are exactly right on your story that you, you actually get worse, you get more debilitated and that continues throughout life. I mean, you know, the less we do, the less we do. And Mm -hmm. I often joke with my older climb, older adults who I have fun with, I love working with, you know, and, you know, they've been a little frail and having some balance problems. And I'm always, 
is getting them more upright and moving and walking with a purpose and walking strong and tell them, you know, gravity, I always joke, you know, gravity's winning. And, you know, someday <laughs> gra- gravity's going to win on all of us. You know, sure, I say sure. gravity's, at the end of the day, gravity's going to win. But you're premature in letting it win right now. So yeah. let's get back on to this upright movement. Interesting. I remember you telling me at one point, too, that uh, I was having, this is after, this was actually just recently, some side back pain. Uh, and I remember thinking, you know, I, I feel like I need to rest it and let it heal. And you're like, no, no, you need to go push those muscles, get them strong. It doesn't matter if it hurts because it's going to get better. It seems antithetical, but okay. I went and I pushed it and I feel great. It's amazing. Like, like you said that the muscles were hurting because they weren't supporting correctly because they were weak. Yeah. And that's, that's really that, you know, kind of counterintuitive moment where, yeah. you know, that, you know, because when we hurt, we're kind of like, Ooh, you know, I just don't want to put my foot on it or don't want to put as much pressure on it. When in fact, you know, it, it, the more we're strengthened, the more stable it is, the less load you put on it, you know? And, and, yeah. and again, it's finding that fine balance between, you know, the right, the right dosage, if you will. The physical body does impact our success. It, it impacts our life. It impacts where we go in life. But even more than that, like you were, and that's why I found this so fascinating. And and I love this conversation is, you know, the mind really dictates where we go. So, you know, go into business. And in fact, I was just talking with another guy recently. I love it. Great thing where he says, visualize, I mean, really in your mind's eye, visualize, this is what I want to be doing, or this is where I want to go with, with whatever it is I'm doing. And usually you can work towards that. If it's the right thing, of course, you know, sometimes you can visualize things that aren't, aren't meant to be and you make it happen. And I, I feel like there's so much correlation here that, you know, visualize the healing, visualize where you're going. And, and it's like, it all connects and, and it, it's so great. Yeah, this is a great one. You know, I love this. I, I, I don't have the exact details I can pull up right now, but imagine this study. This is a study they did where they measured, it was a strength training study. So we want to see if we can make someone's, someone stronger with different training protocols. So they had three groups they randomized these people into three different groups and then measured them pre and post to see who would get the strongest. They were looking at just some finger muscle strength because it's very easy to find and you yeah. can really look at the, you know, the changes, size changes and whatnot in the muscle. So one group was a control group. They just got a pre and post test. So, you know, nothing, nothing happened. They were kind of under control. One group got this uh, pretty aggressive strength training protocol where I think it was three days a week and I think three sets, certain number of reps and, you know, increasing as their strength increased, they increased the volume uh, of the work. The third group, they're measured pre and post and they didn't strength train, but they would look at their hand and visualize squeezing as hard as they could according to what their measurement was going to be. Interesting. So they did no training, but they visualized this, this activity very intently over and over for the same length of time. Well, the control group didn't change. The group mm-hmm. on the strength training program had, you know, somewhere in the order of 40 to 50% increase in strength over mm-hmm. the six-week period. But the, the, the visualization group, they also increased by about 25%. Interesting. So basically, wow. it's, it's, and if you think about it, you know, the thought or the discussion suggests that, again, lots of physical activity is the neurological output and training our brain and nervous system to give the right signal to those exercising muscles. So what these types of studies and others like it are showing how important it gets back to your visualization that literally you're talking visualizing a big picture 
But even, you know, we have evidence that visualizing something as much as getting stronger, yeah. you can get stronger. Isn't that crazy? So it, they didn't win it. <laughs> they didn't win it. No, but, but, but just, they got, you know, they made about half as much improvement as, yeah. as the group that did it. See, that's interesting because, you know, <laughs> I, I've heard so many times, you know, the whole you believe and just believe. And there is something to be said about that. But then again, you know, that, that study also proves that there's also something to be said about the training, Absolutely. the conditioning. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not saying you can't sit on your bottom and just, you know, not and think, oh, I'm going to I'm out, I'm going to run a marathon in my head. You know, that ain't going to yeah. do it. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it does show that for certain tasks, you know, visualization and I tell you it, it, it good racers and, you know, I like to road race and run and, you know, a big part of your last week is literally visualizing, you know, what that looks like. Even something yeah. is, is like a running event where you know where the turns are and this is what I'm going to feel and. And do so. We do a lot of that with our students when we're teaching them, you know, manual manipulation type skills. Literally, we don't have anybody there. I'll have them stand up and I'll have them close their eyes and visualize the movement pattern. So, where it's like we're dancing, and this is how you move when you do this particular technique yeah. and go through. And we have them when they're before practical exams do a lot of visualization. So, mm-hmm. It's really a movement, so you can visualize and get better movements out of the visualization procedure. I've noticed, especially with basketball and piano, I have the same skills I had last time. Last time I hit, you know, eight three-pointers, and I'm just going to go out there and do my best. I'm going to have fun, and I'm just going to rock it. Then you're going to hit eight more three-pointers. You're going to have a good time. Or if you're like, I don't know, these guys are good. I'm kind of, you know, useless. You're going to miss every shot, even though normally you could make them all. And I did the same thing with piano, that if I was ever afraid I was going to mess up, I always messed up. No matter how much I practiced, no matter how much I knew that piece, I always messed up. If I went out and said, I'm going to do this, it was fine. Uh, are you familiar with power poses? And I don't know that Ted talk with Cuddy. I think Cuddy's I've heard of them, but yeah, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. So basically it's all about it. It shows how priming you know, yourself improves performance. So like if you're going into a job interview, you go in the bathroom and get in front of the mirror and you, yeah. you know, make your <laughs> muscles and you, you know, you know, you, you breathe and, you know, you, you tell yourself, you know, how great you're going to do. And you just, you know, you just prime yourself yeah. to, to do better. And they, I mean, they've measured this and people are different after going through yeah. these drills, you know, and again, it's back to what you're saying. You're priming your brain to, you know, to believe. And it kind of goes back to where we started on beliefs. Sure. Change behavior. Beliefs change how we feel. Beliefs actually change our future course of health. So I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with what you're saying. Yeah. If you believe you're going to be sick, you, you, you will, like you said, it's kind of that, you know, and again, I think we're just starting to touch on the, you know, getting the science to support those things that we're starting to see out there, but it's a fascinating time. Uh, uh, And I do hope that we're totally flipping over how we go about health and wellness and, you know, embracing, you know, the whole again and embracing, you know, our own self. And at the end of the day, I often say, a lot of times pain is people don't feel that part of their body. It's not that it feels too much. They've lost kind of their, the way that body part is in space and their representation of that body part Mm. in their brain. So we're really teaching people to visualize and feel and, and be present versus ignore it and leave it alone. I really believe that, you know, in addition to doing physical therapy, you're teaching people 
a lot of like brain management, mental management, emotional management, which I believe, as we just said, goes back to even helping the body to physically heal. You know, we kind of segmented that this is physical, this is mental, and it's always both. (laughs) And so I think that that's, we're doing patients a disservice in my profession if we're not, as we're working with them, talking about, hey, what are other strategies that you can dial on top of this, you know, uh, the movement system. And now let's do the mental training as well to, to, to get you moving back to where you need to be. Ideally, you don't want to see people. I mean, you do, right? That's your business, but you ideally don't want to see people. You don't want to have to. So what kind of advice would you like to give or, or any encouragement in general, uh, when it comes to your, your health, you know, to ideally stay out of a physical therapy practice, but you know what I mean? Based on the stuff you've learned. Absolutely. Great question. And at the risk of sounding a little bit, uh, sarcastic, I would say, <laughs> because my main focus is on musculoskeletal problems and pain, musculoskeletal pain. So I often will say as a patient, you should never underestimate the power of the medical system to make you worse. Hmm. And I think we are at a time that healthy skepticism is needed and you know your body. If you feel like you don't know your body, that's immediately one of those where I encourage people, you know, some of the more awareness type programs, the first thing you should go to is more in the areas of perhaps yoga and meditation and and really getting to kind of feel again. Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes we just don't know what we're feeling. And it's not the medical system. I mean, we have all these powerful tools that peer inside the body. But when they peer inside the body, that's happened in in just in the last couple decades. We've been, you know, MRIs and things of that nature, really two, three decades of that. And we don't know what it means because we see wrinkles on our face we say, oh, that person is probably of this age or been in the sun a lot. And we don't think those wrinkles are painful. You know, mm-hmm. in fact, I'm often smiling faces are the most wrinkled, you know, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. and as they age. But when we look inside the body and we see these wrinkles that occur with normal aging, or as I like to say, wrinkles on the inside, we often label them as pathology. You know, you have a degenerative disc, a degenerative joint, uh, you know, arthritis and all these bad labels that we give to people because that's what the image appears. The correlation between imaging and pain is very poor and you can have horrible images and be pain free or you can have a pristine image and have, you know, disabling pain. So it's just one... piece of information. So in summary, I just say, you know, be, when it comes to musculoskeletal pain in medicine, just be very cautious and go slowly and do conservative treatments first. Um, obviously, I'm a physical therapist, so I'm, you know, biased to kind of our perspective. Sure. But, you know, you know, find one that meets your needs and is very tuned into uh, a healthy lifestyle approach first, you know, before you go do more serious things. I appreciate that. And I think that's very true is I like the fact that you're saying, take it slow, make sure you know what you're doing. So I appreciate that taking it one step at a time and looking at what it really is. Again, looking at the root, not the symptoms. I'm assuming that there are those in the medical you know, industry that probably disagree with you, obviously, because they're in the medical field. Have you had a lot of those debates? And then oh. how do you, because uh, again, it's not about who's right and wrong necessarily. It's 
taking a step back and saying, hold on, let's look at all the facts. Let's be cautious. At least that's what I'm hearing. Absolutely right. And, you know, I often say, you know, why I gave you that first point is because of the wide variability in if we stay with the spine in, say, spine surgical rates Mm -hmm. across the country. And when we look at the variability, it's not related to demographics, how big the population center is, et cetera, et cetera. For instance, in Denver, Colorado, the, the spine surgical rates are about if 50% is a national average, they're at like 75 to 78%. So they're about a quarter above the national average. But if you drive up this way in Northern Colorado region, it's upwards in the 92 percentile rate. So we're like 42% above the national average. I often joke for every, you know, because I travel a lot out of DIA, Denver International. So when I get home, I always say for every two miles I drive up I-25, my likelihood of spine surgery goes up by 1%. Mm. <laughs> That's not a good thing. No. Um, you know, but I mean, what I'm saying is, yes, I often get those in the medical community saying, you know, that you're not being fair. And I'm like, I'm a data guy. I, mm-hmm. he, he, it's not saying any one provider is doing things to be nefarious or inappropriate. Clearly, there are those out there. Sure. But just it's the belief system. If you believe that the image drives all the decisions, then you're going to tend to use your tools that you have to fix, peer inside the body and fix it mm-hmm. as if that's going to make the problem go away. And it's much more acute in musculoskeletal problems because there's just so much variability in our body. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so so yes, I've had some some heated discussions on <laughs> national stages. Uh, sure. um, that and you know, I, I, but that's I guess where you find your passion. I believe in people, and I, I'm. It's not a threat, and people yell sure. at me. I, it's no longer I, you know, because I'm not in it for them. I'm in it for the patients and my friends and relatives. You know, that's what it's about. And again, I hope the listeners don't hear I'm anti medicine, but I am pro individual health. Yeah. And that means like you said just slow it down and and just be cautious for a lot of the musculoskeletal pain. Again, there are true emergency conditions which we do a wonderful job on. Sure. It's what we don't do as good a job are more the chronic pain type conditions and that's where yeah. um slowing it down is a better better choice most of the time. And I appreciate that. And I I completely agree with you. Let's go with your encouragement though on how someone can really become the best them. Yeah. Well, I think it starts with know thyself, right? Know thyself and be open to listen and to reflect and take, you know, feedback from others because that's how I've grown and, and into a better self. I appreciate that. That's awesome. What do we need to know about your, you, your businesses, your, your, all that good stuff. Anything you want us to know on how to contact you if you want that as well. Our company is Colorado in motion. So you can find us at Colorado in motion.com and we're mainly do physical therapy, occupational therapy and industrial wellness type of services. I'm also involved in a company called evidence in motion, which is more a company that is involved in really education across uh, physical therapy lifespan, if you will, all different types of uh, areas. And my final thing, I'm on a professor at South College in Tennessee, where I work with uh, entry-level students in, a, in what's an innovative blended learning accelerated uh, physical therapy program where we're doing some really cool stuff. Very cool. On Twitter, if you want to follow me on yes. Timothy W. Flynn. <laughs> yeah, at Timothy W. Flynn, that's it. And I'll definitely tweet out this to some of my followers to try to get some, get some folks listening because it was I truly enjoyable. That. Oh, well, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. I have all these questions I usually go for, but 
I like the conversation to happen and we definitely went in some directions that I, you know, I didn't plan for, but I love it. Very fun, very exciting and, and definitely learned a lot today. So thank you. And thank you. Tim, thank you so much. That was such an incredible conversation. I really was nerding out about that. I had so much fun. I learned a lot though, and I hope you learned so much too. So thank you for joining us here on The Real Brian Show. And again, Dr. Tim Flynn, thank you for being on. Join me Friday. It is going to be another Superhero Friday. Anything goes. We're going to have a great time as always. And of course, you know, I'd love to hear from you. RealBrianShow.com. I am The Real Brian. Sign it off. The Real Brian Show is a production of 514 Media at 514MediaEmpire.com.